Well, greetings. I'm Jared Ritchie. And I'm Derek Hale. And we are here discussing music and whatever comes to our mind today on this edition of our Kyperian Commentary Podcast. Um, it's fun that uh, we don't often get to have. Uh, I'm in North Louisiana. Derek is in Wichita, but we both share a common love of music and worship music. And Derek, I just thought we would uh, talk a little bit about some of the things that you and I see and think and observe and maybe get some people thinking about some things that maybe they hadn't thought about. The first of which I thought was uh, talking about music uh, in our culture. Uh, I, I guess generally, I, I guess if we just to dive in here, something I've noticed, and you and I've had this conversation too many times, but <laughs> we have we have a, a general tendency, which is a bit ironic, that everybody in the world has music around them all the time, and yet no one can make it. So everybody's got a device. Everybody has access to the world's greatest music and <laughs> the world's worst music at a touch <laughs> of a button or a click of an app, um, and yet very few people today, like you or like myself, have studied formal, have formal music training, have the ability to make music, to be what we would call literate in music. Right, right. We've progressed, uh, obviously, in a uh, hundred years or more to being uh, merely or mostly consumers of music and not creators or makers of music. And that's, that's a real loss for the family, and that's a real loss for culture. And obviously, that's something that the church should be able to, when it's functioning as it should, to correct. Um, we want to raise singers. We want to be able to um, cultivate a an atmosphere where people can sing and, and make music to the Lord and with their own with their own voices. And it makes no difference if you can uh, sing beautifully or can barely uh, squeak out a tune. Um, we haven't cultivated that uh, that atmosphere of teaching, singing, teaching a love of music, take, teaching a a, uh, a a music making culture in a very long time, and and we're we're poorer for it, and our culture is as well. Yeah, that's really it, and, and it's chief uh, understanding and how to resolve this is the church has to step up and and see that. The times when music in Western civilization has flourished, it has been because of the church, not in spite of it, not just happenstance that the church was around, you know, standing around when music was happening. It was the church who led the way, who was the, who was the steward of good music and music education. I think moderns would tell you, well, you need to have music education in the schools, and that's all fine and good. Um, but the church has got to lead the way on this and... Um, we're not doing a very good job of it. I mean, you and I both grew up in churches that um, the the most inexperienced, self-taught musician is the one who's leading the music in a service. Right. Now, I understand that that's the desire to be, you know, somebody's got to do it and this person has a love for it, they think. But this person may even be the least trained of, of anybody doing this. And this is the person leading the modern church oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes. And it seems to be, how are you going to <laughs> go anywhere um, if you don't have training? And if you don't have, you can't teach people and take people where you haven't been yourself, right. at least not very efficiently. 
for sure. And I think you would you would agree as well. We're not calling for a return to um, some sort of oh well, you guys just want uh, classical music in your service, or you want uh, to take us back to the time of. Bach cantatas and or- oratorios um, every Sunday in our in our service because what congregation could sing those? Uh, but I think what we are calling for is a return for something that's more uh, participatory. Uh, modern worship music uh, usually involves a band on stage, uh, the lights dim, and most people in the audience just kind of nodding their head and swaying to the music uh, while the the singer sings on stage. And uh, so it's very unparticipatory unless you get to a chorus where everybody kind of knows it. And uh, other than that, it's, it's, it's very much just a a stand and watch sort of time. And that's, that's what we want to get away from. And we want to move back toward a, a robust hymnody, a robust singing of the Psalms and uh, something highly participatory where the uh, congregation is is the one um, uh, that is uh, leading the worship, uh, that is the one uh, primarily focusing on raising their voices to the Lord. And, and uh, we just, we don't have that right now in, in a lot of churches, and we seek to get back to that. Yeah, that's the truth. And and really, you, you tease that out, and most people have probably in their mind when you say that, they think something altogether different than what you and I are probably implying, um, which is when you say participatory worship, you and I are saying corporate togetherness participatory worship, not just you yourself uh, plugging into God, you know, as if he's a, has, he's a quarter inch, you know, uh, tip and sleeve jack that you just plug into in a service and you just connect with him uh, but no, you as the body of Christ gather together, singing together and singing to one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and encouraging sideways and up and down, you know, singing and admonishing the angels, you know, in certain in certain ways and singing and calling God to remember his promises. You know, not anything weird and hokey, but but singing together, you know, and that's something you and I've noticed a lot is if people do see the importance of singing in worship and the church singing again, if they do have a praise band who is you know, um, has people in theater seats and they're all sitting there that maybe their hands are raised, maybe they're trying to engage, but they don't know how to sing the words. Um, if they're doing that, the, the idea is that they need to be singing themselves. They need to be singing. And in a way, our worship is supposed to be a picture of what the whole world evangelized looks like. Right. And how can that be if only, let's say, a band well-meaning or whatever is up there standing on the stage singing and people are struggling to even participate. They don't know what their job is. They don't know when is the chorus right. <laughs> and are we repeating it? Are we tagging it? Are we, are we just going to loop it and, and just kind of riff on it? Or, or are we all singing maybe in harmony, maybe in unison? Are we singing a psalm? Are we singing a hymn? Are we, are we singing different things? Maybe not doing the same thing. Maybe you're singing alto. Maybe I'm singing tenor. Maybe we're someone singing bass and soprano and we're, we're singing and making this combined effort that's a picture of what worship should be. Not perfect, not flawless. Um, I think people, if they if they hear that, they might tendency to say, yeah, yeah, people just need to raise their hands. They need to sing in, in church. They need to they need to just be involved. They need to let the spirit move. Right. And I, I think the sad thing is, is we've become almost allergic to the thought of doing things in unison or doing things together. Um, and it's, interesting that 
one of the only places where that allergy manifests itself is in the church. Um, if you were to go to a college basketball game, for example, college basketball is huge in my town in Wichita, Kansas. And if you go to the um, to the Wichita State Shocker game, um, everybody knows to sing the fight song at a certain point, and everybody just falls in line and robustly cheers. Uh, it's a it's a it's a tradition uh, f- at the beginning of the game until the Shockers score their first uh, points that everybody stands and kind of makes noise and waves in unison. Uh, I know further up the up the road in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, at the University of Kansas at KU, they're famous for doing the rock chalk together. Um, and so you go out into these other cultures, uh, sports culture, for example, and doing things in unison is part of the fun of going. Uh, it's it, That's part of what makes it so much uh, fun to go to a sporting, a college sporting event. But we've completely lost that in church. Um, it's me time. It's me and God time. It's me isolated with God, closing my eyes, doing what I need to do. And... Um, if I've got neighbors, maybe I'll talk to them after the service or I'll greet them beforehand. But once worship begins, that's my that's my me time with God. And that's something that just absolutely needs to be rethought and um, really um, taught against. Yeah, wouldn't you say, if someone listening to this, uh, they would say, aha, that's individualism. That's individualism run amok. Right. Um, and, and reaching into worship music. Right. And people say, well, what's wrong with me having time with God? Right. You know, that would be, I could hear some of my brothers and sisters, people who I love dearly, who would say, I don't see anything wrong with that, uh, just as you say it. Right. I mean, I do need to commune with God. I need to worship Him. I need to give Him praise. I need to, um, but it's the idea, number one, what in the uh, the overabundance of this idea of this individualistic view of worship, and number two, I think without being too technical because that's not my my skill set, is the idea of how does the spirit move? I think people want the Holy Spirit to move. There's a great move of God in our worship service today. People will say while they're singing, "Oh, they feel this warm feeling because it was a, a very moving song," or you know, the choir sang this anthem, or oh, it just tugged on my heartstrings, you know, oh, it was a great move of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it was a move of God. God was really moving in this place. When I think oftentimes people, um, they, they think that the Holy Spirit moves in a, maybe in a sentimental way or in a heartstring way. And I find, I know you do too, being a pastor, trying to help people reorient their minds that the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily move that way. It's not in momentary shock and awe. Um, he, he is so methodical and so um, structured and uh, gloriously purposeful that he, I mean, he has every ability to move how he wants to, but I think we just think God's not moving. The worship is not inspiring. If people are not moved and wowed and their heartstrings don't feel tugged upon because of that warm chord that the the keyboard is played underneath the prayer at the end of the service or, you know, the way they just looped that chorus two more times uh, without the drums. You right. know what I'm saying? 
um, it's almost like that is that's what we've equated with the spirit's not working it's not a validation of spirit-filled worship unless you feel that warmth or that tug inside right. I, I find a hard time trying to explain that i mean would that you think that's uh, unclear but do you notice that in your sphere as well i i notice it all over the place down here of course it's i think it's 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 so interesting the way the spirit uh, the Holy Spirit seems to, if if we're going by um, just the crowd reaction and judging the quote unquote work of the Spirit by what's happening in the congregation during worship, um, which I'm not sure is a valid way of measuring the Spirit's activity, but be that as it may, uh, I, I do find it interesting that uh, the Spirit evidently in a lot of these churches really hates classic hymnody because, uh, you know, you play... Uh, the latest uh, CCLI uh, hit, uh, and everyone raises their hands, and everyone is swaying, and everyone's moving to the music, and clearly the quote unquote spirit is at work, close quote. And and it, but as soon as the band uh, decides to throw in "How Great Thou Art" or um, "Oh for a Thousand Tongues" or um, another kind of classic, more older hymn, the hands go down. The hands go down, and apparently the mm. spirit really just doesn't like old hymnody. Um, so it's it's always puzzled me how that manifests itself in the congregation. That uh, you know that's not seen as something I raise my hands to. That's something I just kind of stand there and either listen to or kind of participate in. But the really spiritual music um, is, is the latest CCLI. Uh, chart breaker uh, from coming out of Nashville. One thing that I've noticed, Jared, and you can you can tell me what you think about this. Um, in Ephesians five, uh, when thinking about the uh, purpose of music in the service, uh, the classic passage about uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, it, it's so interesting to me that in verse nineteen of, of Ephesians five, that the first thing that we are told there that Paul uh, tells the church in Ephesus is that you address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and that you sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart. But the very first person that's addressed there is not God with your psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but that you're addressing your brothers and sisters in the pew. Now, of course, the Lord is addressed as well. We sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart, but um, there is also this horizontal aspect in which we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And for me, uh, I want to be addressed with music in the service that um, is lyrically, uh, goes somewhere doctrinally that's profound, that's deep, that uh, is thoughtful, and it's not just the same uh, three chords and one sentiment repeated over and over again. Um one example uh, I was just reminded of since we've come out of the uh, uh, Christmas service and we're still in the the latter days of the Christmas season, um, we sing uh, of, of the Father's love begotten, that great that great hymn that evidently was written around the year 400 and how it begins um, uh, before creation of the Father's love begotten ere the worlds began to be. And so it, the song takes you through uh, even before creation um, that Jesus was Alpha and Omega, 
um, he the source, the ending he, and then goes uh, through the prophets, goes through Mary, it comes to us, and just the profoundest, richest theology that could possibly go into a, a song. And these are the kinds of things that I want to hear my brothers and sisters standing next to me in the pew or coming from the congregation uh, exhorting me with those kinds of words as they sing and make melody, uh, not only to the Lord, but to to one another. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's really, it, it's an idea of uh, singing to one another in our circles. I mean, people that are listening to this may not know, we're in churches that sing and, and sing uh, try to sing some of these broader ecumenical and corporate music that has a larger tradition. We're we're involved in that, um, but we do have we have a tendency in our circles people to sing a lot uh, and to think I need to sing loud and boisterous and sing all the harmony and all this. And they sometimes I think forget. Yes, we we need to sing to one another. We need to encourage one another. Uh, we need to build up our own musicianship so that we can be stronger singers so that um, we can encourage one another so that our music is is joyful and we mature in music. When you say those words, having a music maturity, people might, you might as well just say, I'm a music snob and thumb your nose at everybody. Right. People, they don't think there's this cultural, uh, you know, addled attitude that if you try to put any skill to something, um, then, then you are just a snob, and people resist that greatly. Now, a lot, a lot of that is because a lot of times musicians, you know, have that temptation. As do people in the arts. You know, if they're good at something, you use it to lord over people. Right. You know, you use it like, oh no, I can understand this, and you can't. But we musicians, we church musicians, especially and pastors like yourselves, we've got to encourage folks to um, see the importance of music making, to see the desire. Um, to encourage one another to not be just, I guess, as a way to encourage this without it sounding like a gripe fest is, is to tell folks, hey, look, you, you have to, you know, start where you are, but don't be don't settle or resign yourself that, A, number one, I can't sing uh, and that there's no need for me to really try because I've just not been gifted with that. Right. And number two, that you have a job to do. You've got some encouraging. That lady has cancer next to you in the pew. And she needs to hear you sing, you know, right. um, oh, ye heights of heaven, adore him, angel host, his praises sing. I mean, of that, of the Father's love of God. She needs to hear you say those words right. um, that week. And maybe you need to hear her sing because you're complaining about back pains, you know, in church. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it really, yes, you do need to sing to the Lord. And yes, we are worshiping the Trinian God on the Lord's day when we gather together. But you, we need to be pushing ourselves and realizing the Lord has given us this wonderful gift of music, and we need to be discerning and mature, not snobs, and that's so hard sometimes for us to navigate, Amen. but we need to be able to make music and make it joyfully and as skillfully, giving thanks when we are clunky and when we sing, you know, boisterously and off pitch in some of our circles <laughs> and realize that, you know, as a culture, you and I, we hear people sing in churches and they... I mean, it just shows uh, you can amen this. I know that there's such an, a desert of music um, literacy that you bring someone in there and let them sing something and they have any success at it. It's like you've just thrown two drops of water on their tongue and they love it. Right. You know, whether it's kids songs in the service or learning songs. Um, and we need to really we need to develop that and we need to encourage that. And we it's it's a. Uh, 
it's going to take some some great thinking and some reworking of what we prioritize as a culture. Amen. I couldn't agree more, Jared. Well, guys, this is uh, this has been <laughs> fun. Y'all are listening to Derek uh, and I just talk about music. It's kind of a, it's kind of something we we've always said we're going to do. We both, um, I've, uh, I'm a choral director and, and a, a musician, a music teacher by training. Uh, I teach uh, music five days a week, and Derek is a musician by training and a pastor. Which those two, you know, it's like pairing good wine and, and good cheese. I mean, that that goes together <laughs> so well. <laughs> Um, and so we don't get the chance to talk music. So we we thought, hey, we would just do a little, you know, a little see where it takes us and discuss some things that we think about. Who knows? You might hear our voices, uh, you know, in, in uh, another capacity in the future. But for now, this has just been a, a fun little opportunity to maybe get you thinking about some things. Maybe um, you have some questions. So it's been fun to have um, have a little conversation. Uh, we do hope, I know I can speak for Derek, that that you will not um, settle in your musicianship, but that you will give thanks f- uh, that the Lord's got you where he's got you. Don't, um, don't settle. Um, look for good music. Look for a ways to it to be an encouragement to one another while you sing. Um, and maybe uh, you can build on your musicianship. Derek, what, what final words would you, would you say to folks if they're uh, as a way of parting comments. Yeah, just, uh, of course, uh, be thankful for where you are. Be thankful for where the Lord has you. And uh, start in your own home and learn to sing and make melody to God and to your brothers and sisters. All right. Well, that concludes this episode of Kyperian Podcast. I'm Jared Ritchie for Derek Hill. Thanks so much for listening. And hopefully we'll see you in the new year.